This is episode 197 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing the 2011 Winter Youth Celebration with Hugh Halter. This is session six. What do you think? Mm, Oh, I sense love. I sense hostility. I went down for the break today, downtown Portland, and uh, my... uh, daughter's boyfriend that I showed you a picture of texted me a couple hours ago and said, are you still in Portland? I said, yeah. I said, uh, can you give me an Oregon Ducks sweatshirt? I said, no, I don't want to. He said, please. I said, all right. So I went down to the Oregon Duck shop and uh, got this. Um, it is amazing how all of a sudden some of you turned on me. And I thought some of you actually liked me and now like, you don't like me. It's just like, it's amazing. It's like human nature to like pick a side, isn't it? Like it, just, it just naturally is there that you're either this or you're that. You don't get to be both. You gotta actually pick a side. It's, uh, it's actually what I wanna talk to you about today because we're gonna, tonight, we're gonna have you guys go out. This mic still isn't working, is it? You're bothered by this, so I'm gonna pick up the hand mic again, okay? Hey, everybody give our sound guy a hand because he's been awesome. with the old guy. I'll get it eventually. Um, anyway, but uh, tonight we're going to actually have you guys go out and take communion uh, out in the city, out at different restaurants. And I actually wanted to talk to you about how to prepare for communion. And it's interesting that um, when you talk about like picking sides or making judgments, communion has been one of those things over the years that has probably messed up more people uh, than almost anything. Um, in fact, when I was in high school, one of my friends was killed in a uh, accident, and he had, he was a Christian friend of mine, and we went to his Lutheran um, church for the funeral out in Oregon City. And remember, they had the communion line, and a bunch of my friends and I we got up to take communion, and one of the pastors um, came and actually stopped us from taking communion, and we didn't really know what was going on. We just thought it was weird, and. He took about 10 of us aside. He said, look, we just don't know if you're uh, worthy to take it here. And we said, we're, we're Christians. Like, uh, it's our friend that died. And he said, yeah, but I don't, I don't know your story. I don't, I don't know for sure. So we're just, we can't have you do that. And I remember, like, getting really ticked off. Like, it just, just seemed weird. You know, today still, I can't go into Lutheran churches or Catholic churches uh, some Episcopal churches, even I as, as a pastor, they would say, you don't get to take communion. Like it's, somehow there's like these lines that we create in the sand. Like unless we really know you're good enough, then we're not gonna let you do that. It's like it's been a kind of a part of the Christian story over the years. In fact, it was part of the story for Jesus. And part of the sacrilegious thing that Jesus did is he was one of those guys that got really angry whenever somebody put false lines in the sand that kept people from finding God. So um, oftentimes he would grab people that would not normally be in the inn and he would have dinner with them. And having dinner with somebody actually represented that you were accepting them as a person. So when he ate with Levi or 
anybody else, people would just be like, how, why would the rabbi be even having dinner with those people? Because it's unholy to do that. They're unholy people. When he would talk with the woman in Samaria, the half-breeds, those that had sold out their pure faith and started to marry outside the Jewish race, they would go, why would that rabbi talk with that woman? She's unclean. And they would make a judgment, a line in the sand, that you don't get to be there. And so Jesus tried to help people. When he started to show up on the scene, he was trying to, again, remove religion, remove those false lines, and just let people come to him. And communion, or the Lord's Supper, as we call it, or the Eucharist, was one of the ways that Jesus taught us how to actually not judge people. And so I want to kind of walk you through that a little bit. Um, There's a scripture maybe some of you have have heard over the years that we oftentimes use uh, to get ready for communion. I'm going to read it to you. It says this, Whoever, uh, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in any unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Sounds pretty serious, right? It's like, don't jack with this. This is a big deal, okay? And everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. So, like, pretty harsh. And so, growing up, I remember in youth group, we would read this usually, and then there would be a time where we would have to bow our heads and sort of do a a quick sort of analysis of how bad we sinned. And, you know, sometimes I could think of, you know, two or three good ones, but, you know, it only took a few seconds. But I almost felt guilty, like, if I look up or I go up to the table too quickly, it's going to look like, you know, maybe I'm not mourning my sin enough or whatever. So, you know, you just keep your head down. Wait till you're kind of in the middle of the pack and then you move up to the, the table type of thing. But it's interesting that that's all we ever read. Never read the other part, stuff on top or below it. And I'm not going to read it to you. I'm going to ask you to go read this. This is, uh, everybody remember 1 Corinthians 11. Why don't you read that whole chapter because here's the context of that. Is that you had some Jewish people that had become Christians, put their faith in Jesus as the Messiah and they were actually having these what were called love feasts, which were normal to Jewish life. So they have a huge dinner, and they actually were starting to take communion. Okay? And they were getting hammered drunk. Hammered drunk and eating all the, all the bread, all the food. And there was a bunch of poor people that were starting to come into this environment, and they basically shunned them. They just stiff-armed, gave them the Heisman. While they just basically went... Christian gone wild. And so, now when you read that, let's read it again. Okay, so imagine that's the scene. You got a bunch of Christians, they got all the food and all the wine, they're going overboard, and they don't give a rat's rear about the poor folks that are around them. Now listen to this. See if it reads a little bit differently. And whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup for those who eat and drink without discerning what the body of Christ, the people. Eat and drink judgment on themselves. So what's an unworthy manner? What makes you unworthy? It's when you go about your Christian things without taking into consideration the poor those that are trying to get at the table. That's what's unworthy. 
It's not whether or not you sinned a little bit or sinned a lot. It literally was very specific. Don't do that to poor people and then get in the line every Sunday and just act like you're cool with God and take communion. It has nothing to do with levels of sin. In fact, communion by its nature means that Jesus is inviting you to his table of grace. That's the story of the gospel is that God allows us to be in relationship with him because he takes our sin upon himself, all of it. And he dies in our stead, and then he opens up a table of grace and is for all the unworthy. That's what the Eucharist is for, it's for all the unworthy. So you are actually never theologically ever worthy to receive communion or to take of the table of the Lord. It's actually given to you as a free gift by Jesus because he did all the hard work that made you worthy. It says that he, Jesus, is our righteousness. He makes us acceptable to God. So there's nothing that you can do that makes you okay to get up in the line and somebody else not okay. The only difference is Jesus. Does this make some sense? And sometimes when we, when we do our Christian thing, we, uh, we have this pesky problem of somehow knowing that there's this big grace story, but then we just keep putting lines in the sand. Like we decide when somebody is a Christian or when they're not. So a really interesting analysis when you watch Jesus actually tell people that they're right with him. There's seven times in the New Testament where Jesus actually declares to people, he'll say, your sins are forgiven. Or you'll be with me in paradise today. Seven times, and you know none of those times were people actually asking to be saved. None of them were praying a prayer. And what it starts to teach us is that it's not really a formula for who's in and who's out. What we learn is that Jesus knows where our hearts are at, right? And yes, is there a line in the sand, so sort to of speak, in regards to being saved? Yeah, there's a moment in time, apparently, where we cross from death to life, as it says, where our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So there is a moment of conversion for everybody. But oftentimes, that moment of conversion, we're not really sure of, but we Christians seem to think that we can decide when that moment of conversion is for somebody. And so what we've said historically is the only people that get to take communion are those that have passed our test, where we know that, hey, they're good, they can, they can take this. And that may be missing the point completely. You don't have a right to know where somebody's heart is. How many people have you known that have prayed the prayer and then lived like hell the rest of their lives? Yeah, so clearly praying a prayer doesn't, that's, doesn't necessarily mean that's your moment. Sometimes we pray a prayer out of selfishness or we pray a prayer out of fear, whatever it is. But God knows when somebody's heart, like there's one time where a woman who has been sick, Jesus is walking through a crowd, tons of people all around him, and he feels this woman just, just reach through the crowd, just try, he's just trying to grab his clothes. And as soon as he feels her, he turns around and he says, woman, you're good with me. Just, it's just a cool story. It has nothing to do with what you do. And on any given Sunday in communion lines all over the country, there are people that come up week after week and they're businessmen that cheat on their taxes, have never really given God control of their money. There's husbands that are verbally abusive to their wives. There's students that have been cheating on all sorts of classes during the week, whatever, whatever it is. But 
they just get in line because they think, well, I'm in. I, I at least I prayed a prayer about 10 years ago, so I guess I'm good. And yet there's always people on the outs that go, I, I guess I'm not worthy to be there. We had, um, we had a, uh, a dancer of the, you know, of the dark side uh, come in. One of, uh, one of our gals called and said, I've got a friend that's coming to church this Sunday. And he says she's, uh, she's a prostitute and does some dancing and stuff. She's got two sons. And uh, she grew up in church. Her dad was a, a, a minister and was abusive to her. And she got off when she was in middle school, kind of tapped out. They actually had to remove her from the home. And then she got off into this life. But she's kind of, she's been talking to me. And so she wanted to come. She heard about our church. And so she, she goes, I just want you to know she's coming. And so she came. And uh, in our church service, Communion or the Lord's Supper is actually the main thing that we do. We don't always do sermons. We don't always do musical worship, but we always take communion. It's like that's putting Jesus at the center of our lives. And people leave the, the mound early, you know, from skiing because they just they don't want to miss communion with our people. And they usually file up, and we have a big table, and we have huge bread, and sometimes we've got some chocolate and grapes on there. It's just it's a it's a feast a lot of the times, and. Uh, I remember watching this girl because I met her as she came in and uh, I watched her the first week during communion. She actually was rocking back and forth. You could just see like she was straining, a little teary. She was holding one of her sons and she just was kind of rocking back and forth and she just watched everybody, you know. Second week she came and same thing. Uh, third week I remember she stood up and stood in the back and she just held hands with her two sons. And she just wept. And uh, I saw Ingrid go over to her and just put her arm around her. And then the next Sunday, I saw her get up and grab her two sons and get in the line and start to come up. And uh, so afterwards, I just talked with her. And uh, she goes, I, just, I don't think I should have probably been in there today. But I just, I couldn't not, I just couldn't not come. I believe in Jesus. I've always believed in Jesus. Um, a lot of people would judge that. They go, Hugh, you can't let her do that. Okay, but I just, I just want to point out to you that um, there's a lot of different types of sins. There are sins where Jesus says, hey, don't do this stuff. And then we do it, and then we kind of know that we just sinned, right? That's how most of us view sin. Don't do it, then we do it. Yeah, I screwed up. But did you know that sins are also things that you don't do that Jesus asks you to do? Like when he says, please look after the poor, the oppressed. Did you know that when you live your whole life as a Christian and you don't really live for the poor and the oppressed, that that's actually missing God's mark too? That's sin. And yet we would never generally hold ourselves accountable to those please do's. Is this making any sense? Is that ultimately what makes us makes the communion table beautiful is when you actually always know I'm never actually worthy of God's grace. And I miss his mark all the time. Yeah, maybe I didn't swear this week or I didn't hop in the sack with a girlfriend, whatever it is. Maybe you didn't do any of the biggies. But maybe you also go, but I also didn't do a lot of the life of Jesus. I really didn't do anything on the positive side. I just, I, I just keep missing it. And yet, the table means you get to come to him all the time. 
And so when you finally accept that there's nothing in you that's worthy, and yet you'll still come up because you're desperate for God's grace, it also then removes your judgment upon everybody else. And on your needing to have to make sure you close the deal or that they close the deal before they get to come. Conversion, even though it is a moment in time situation, conversion is also a lifetime. Agreed? That there's parts of Hugh Halter that have been fully converted. I totally get some stuff. But there's other parts of Hugh Halter that are still under renovation. And I know which parts those are. So there's still some unconversion in me. It's not an issue of my eternal condition. It's more an issue of becoming like Jesus. Paul said, hey, until Christ be formed in you, that's my goal. I'm going to hang out with you guys until Christ, the fullness of who he is, is formed in you as a person. And none of us are fully formed. And so you don't have to judge somebody that's in process. Uh, In front of our house, there's this big lake. And this time of year, bazillions of huge geese come flying into this lake. It's hilarious. I will hear them start. It's about a 90-minute process. And it goes from no geese to bazillions. And they're all honking. They're coming in from all directions. You ever seen? Uh, somebody once, uh, actually today, somebody asked me, you know how, like in a line of geese, one line's always longer? Do you know why that is? There's more geese in that line. Yeah, anyway. Okay, so <laughs> they come flying in. And there's always a... F- a few that drop in, and they'll just kind of sit there. And then the next sort of flock comes flying in, and they do basically what you call a flyby. I'll, I'll tell my wife, hey, they're, they're just doing the flyby right now, which means they're flying over the lake to check out, are those dudes real, or are those dudes plastic, and some other dudes are going to blow us out of the air, okay? So they do a flyby, just checking it out, okay? And then a few will circle off the back of the little triangle, and they will then pilot their way in and they will touch in. Then a few will come behind them, and they'll actually, they put out their, their feet, you know, their little skitters, and then right when they touch the water, they actually throttle up again and get out of there, okay? They're just kind of checking it out, like is it it's good, it's safe, it's water type of thing, but they're not sure, and then eventually, somehow through their quacking or whatever, they communicate to everybody, hey, it's cool, and then they all just come in. That's a lot like what real conversion happens. People don't often just go, oh, I get it, I'm in. Oftentimes our conversion process, coming to Jesus takes 10 years. And at times people do, they drop in, they dip a toe in, and then something happens and they pull back out. You gotta circle around, check things out a little bit. And uh, I wonder when it's okay for them to take communion. Have you ever thought about that, like when? So who would, have Jesus, who would Jesus have invited to the table? Who would he say, it's okay for you to be there? Who would he pull out of line? It's a great question, right? Well, here's what we know about Jesus and communion. He started it, right? Uh, he was the first one that said, hey, please do this. And he was sitting with his 12 at the time, remember? All the band of knuckleheads. And he started to say, and he, they were reclining at a table. They were just eating dinner one night. And it was uh, basically a couple nights before he was done. So a few nights later, then he was going to be crucified for us. So this was a big deal. And he was trying to get them ready for life without him as a physical being anymore. And he said, hey, guys. Um, and he probably grabbed some bread that he was just eating. 
probably wasn't a special communion loaf. There probably wasn't a special wine. Just while they're eating, he said, hey, guys, whenever, um, whenever you get together, whenever you do this, he says, whenever you just eat dinner, would you remember me? My body broken for you, my blood shed for you. And they probably went, yeah, sure, we'll do that. You know, like so. But they didn't know he was leaving. So they probably didn't quite get it. But he knew uh, in a couple days, I'm actually never going to see these guys again until they see me in heaven. So he was sort of setting them up. Guess who was at the table? Who was part of the 12? Judas. So Jesus was offering Judas, who he knew was literally what he uh, called the son of perdition. He knew this dude's going to sell me out. And he was still saying, look, you can do this. Besides Judas, who he knew was going to jack him, you had the other 11. And how did the other 11 do during the whole crucifixion, crucifixion experience? Were they just like the perfect Christians? It says none of them stayed. So Jesus actually was offering communion, the very first communion, to 12 men that he knew were going to deny him within the next 24 hours. That changes the way you might think about communion, right? And then when you have heard what I just read about Corinthians, is that people started to then take their normal Jewish love feast and they would apply that to this thing that Jesus would tell them to do. And they started to screw it up again. And the reason why they screwed it up is that they were picking favorites again. So here's all I want you to remember about Jesus, about God, about communion, about you. God knows your heart. Okay? You can't fake him out. When you get up to heaven someday, there's not going to be dudes off in the alleyway going, dude, come here. I'm a pedophile, but I snuck in. Yeah. God's like, God's not stupid. God knows every heart. And he will say, uh, most of the sacraments is actually a walk through what are called the Beatitudes. And that's where Jesus in Matthew 5 starts to go, look, here's some stuff you got to start learning. One of the things he says, blessed are the pure in heart. And it was revolutionary. And the reason why he said, blessed are the pure in heart. In other words, the ones that are pure in heart are going to be good with me. Because nothing was based on the heart back then. Everything was, everything was based on behavior, what you would see on the outside. He's actually going, no, actually, the ones that are okay are the ones where I, I know their heart. This prostitute, I know her heart. Sometimes those that have the worst behavior actually might be more pure in heart than those that have pretty decent behavior. Some of you that I've talked with this week, it sounds like you actually haven't done a whole lot of big ones, big sins. But you've expressed to me judgment on other people. That's an issue of, potentially an issue of pure in heart. My son Ryan, I've told you about his epilepsy, so he's pretty messed up. There was this uh, boy named Zach in Denver who was an alcoholic, drug addicted, and I was having to pull him in and out of jail. His mom would call me and, and tell Zach's back in jail, would you be willing to go get him? And Zach was a train wreck, absolute train wreck. One weird thing about Zach, though, is that he befriended Ryan. He was my son's only friend. And he loved to fish, so he would come and he would get Ryan, and he would drive him up to the mountains, and they would fish, and Ryan would have seizures and fall in the river. And Zach would go to a convenience store and buy him an extra sweatshirt with the little money he had. Uh, he'd feed him. 
Um, we used to always get frustrated with Ryan because he would eat so slow. He has, he has to dip everything in ranch dressing. <laughs> everything. And so to like do, do a happy meal is like a two-hour experience, and you have to keep going back and getting more. And Zach was one of those guys that he would just sit with Ryan for hours just to the very last french fry and not push him. Zach had a pure heart. He was just a train wreck. Remember, people, there's a context for people's sin for their behavior. So just be careful. Be somebody that's pure in heart yourself. And all that means is that you just go, my God, my heart, I know I need you. I know I'm thankful for your payment of my sin. And I love and I'm thankful for your grace. I'm not going to make any judgment on anybody else. And I'm going to see your table as you see it. It's your table. And if you want to invite people to the table... Who am I to want people not to come to your table? So in our church, we say our table is open. We don't close our table. We don't say, you, should, you know, you have to decide if you're worthy. We just say we're all unworthy. Our table is open for you if you would like to, by faith, come and remember Christ's body broken for you, his blood shed for you. And in that, people get up and they grab friends and they all know that they haven't been living real well and we're a big family of knuckleheads that receive God's grace. And so tonight, when you do this, um, I, want you to, I want you to go for yourself and go differently this time. Go knowing that uh, God loves you. That's why he sent his son to die for you. But I want you to also go out in public. That's where you're gonna be. And you're not going to show off. If you go to show off or to make some scene or to try to be bold out with people, you're actually blowing it and you're doing that first Corinthians thing. You're doing it in public because we want you to know that wherever you go with God's people, you can stop at any time in your community time or at a restaurant eating a happy meal and you can say, hey, let's remember the Lord's body and his blood. That that's what draws us together is, is Jesus as the center of who we are. And so take it humbly tonight. Take it thankfully. Take it as God's inviting you on mission with him. Take it as he's your example and take it as somebody that's just going to hopefully be somebody that draws more people to the table. Um, I'm going to have the guys come up and do a little bit more as we close, but one thing I would like to do, because I've had some conversations with some of you, um, I know some of you in the room are not, are not Christians right now, or at least that's what you've said, I just don't know. Had a young um, Jewish girl that's been a part of our church for about two years. I married her and her husband. He was Catholic. She was uh, from a Jewish heritage. Both of them were secular, kind of non-practicing Catholic, non-practicing Jew. And uh, nobody else would marry him. And so I, I heard about the story. I said, I'll marry him. Marriage is something God created. I want to honor these two. So I married him. Huge wedding. The Jewish people hated me. The Catholic people hated me. You know, all the families were ticked off at each other. It was like it was completely divided. And, uh, but the couple was just thankful that I was there to help out. Well, the husband, Brian, came to faith in about two months. And, uh, but Jessie, a little Jewish girl, she just, she would ask me to meet with her month after month. And she would just go, I'm trying to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I clearly see a difference in you, your people versus the people I grew up with, or even my Jewish family. You guys are different, but I'm just having a hard time really believing that Jesus is actually real and he's a Messiah. And 
And I said, it's cool, Jesse, let's just keep meeting. Let's just read some scripture. We just kept doing that. And Brian started to come up to the communion line. And Jesse would sit in the back and she would cry. She was real sensitive. She, one time she said, I just feel terrible. I'm his wife and I don't even go up there with him. But she goes, I know it's a big deal. She goes, I know it'd be dumb for me to come up if I don't believe, right? I said, yeah, it'd be kind of dumb. Um, I said, someday, Jesse, I'm praying that you're going to understand that Jesus really is the Messiah. And uh, Two months later, I just I got tired of watching her cry every Sunday. So I, I went back while Brian was in the line. I said, Jesse, you're married to Brian. You love that he's believing in Jesus, right? You want to support him? She's like, yeah, I, I really am. He's totally different guy. So why don't you go stand with him? Just walk with him every Sunday because you still can be there with him. It's up to you about when you want to take him. So for another six months, she just would walk up with Brian and she would stand there. He would take it and they'd give each other a hug and walk back in line. And three weeks ago, I just, she just got up. A lot of people know her. A lot of people know her story. A lot of people have just been graceful, haven't judged her. A lot of people have prayed. A lot of us have fasted for her, stopped eating. Um, just always kind of like, Lord, we don't know how to help her believe. And then she got up, walked up. We thought she wasn't gonna take it, and then she grabbed it. We're all like, holy crap, she's taking it. Everybody's looking around. We're all like, and we all got up and we just kind of, just kind of stood behind her. Didn't make a big deal about it. Just were like, cool. We didn't say, hey, you're in. She already knew that she was in the family, right? She already knew that she was in our community. She already knew she was in our lives. We knew that God was up to something. My guess is God had her heart several months prior to that, but that's when she felt like, okay, I can do it. So I'd offer this to you. I won't probably see most of you ever again. Hopefully you have a good life. I'll see you on the other side, but maybe something has happened this week. For those of you that have been a little sketchy about the whole Jesus thing, and maybe um, in the way that you've seen the words on the screen, or the way that I've described it, or maybe just in how you've seen the Christians in the room, you kind of are going, look, I got, I got at least a little, I got enough faith that I'd like to try to follow this Jesus guy. Um, I would love it if, if you feel comfortable, and if you're not, um, I'll hang around, but I'm going to hang out over here on the side. Um, and if you feel like tonight you actually might take communion for the first time, because you just, you got enough faith. All, Jesus, all he needs is a little mustard seed. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to have it all together. You just have to know you need Jesus to cover your sin. That's all you need to know. And so if tonight you're thinking, I think I want to do that, I'd love to just pray over you, pray with you. Um, not make a big deal, but I'll be there. And if you still aren't comfortable to come chat with me right now, um, I'll hang out afterwards. Um, if you don't even feel comfortable talking with me, um, I'd encourage you to maybe let one of your leaders know or one of your friends say tonight, I'm going to take it for the first time. So this would be a cool, this is a good time to take it. Um, it's not churchy. You're not going to be in a church. You're going to be in the world where God intended you to be. So it seems like this would be a good night to take it. So let me pray over you. God, thank you for um, all this time with these new friends. 
grateful for uh, Jeremy and all the other leaders that have put this on, given us an opportunity to come and uh, grow in our understanding and our faith of you. Um, God, I've grown as I've been with them, and I'm thankful uh, for what you've done in my life and how you've accepted me, how you've continued to draw me into a deeper sense of conversion. And so, uh, God, I'm grateful that at least everybody in this room knows they're accepted and loved. I pray that those that struggle in faith, even now, that, God, you would uh, somehow whisper of your reality to them and that tonight would be a great night for them. Everybody said, amen. Was carried to the table, seated where I don't belong. Carried to the table, swept away by his love.
place, God, that you lift off any fears, God, any reservations to respond to the word given, that at your table, Lord God, we are welcome, and as it was spoken, Lord God, we are welcome to feast of your grace and your love. We receive that, God. See? 